Well, good morning, everyone. Thank God for you being here, and thank God for the, uh, for the work that God is doing in all of our hearts. How many of you would agree you're not perfect yet? About a quarter of you. So let's try that. How many of you are not perfect yet? Okay. okay. Some, about, about, about half of you are holding out. We're all in process, and part of that process is just falling in love with Jesus and doing what, uh, serving Him and how He leads. I'm going to be pretty brief this morning, and, and then we're going to move right into our great water baptismal service and celebrate. I pray, I pray, I pray this prayer often, Lord, help me never to forget. And what reminds me is I was in a CE conference in, in Massachusetts, and and uh, a bigger shot, a big, big shot came in to speak uh, the night before we were setting up. And as he walked into the gymnasium, he looked at me, and I was setting up some tables. For, and he, he went like this. He, he, went like, he went like this. And he said, hey, you, come over here. And so I, you know, my mom gave me a name, so I told him what my name was. But uh, after him uh, telling me a lot of things, I went back to my room that night, and, and I pray God for all of us. Well, this is just a great prayer. Lord, help me to never forget where I came from. Everybody's here. We're all here by the grace of God. And I thank God for his faithfulness and for you being here today. My assigned text today is in Matthew chapter 22. It's a great text. Uh, when the pastor first asked me to get, uh, speak on this test, I, in my spirit I said, can you give me another one? <laughs> But I didn't say that out loud because he probably never let me speak again. But that's okay. God, God, is, God is good. Um, but the more I dug in and mind the goal out of the text, it's just incredible wisdom God gives us. How many of you thank God for wisdom? Wisdom. God gives us wisdom. And in Matthew 22, verse 34, the Scripture says, But when the Pharisees heard that he, that's Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment or the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second commandment, and another version says, and equal to the first commandment, is to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, let me set the, set the table. Here's the context. How many, how many of you have favorite teams? You like to root for certain teams. Anybody here? Okay, we know the pastor's favorite team is the Red Sox. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, the Yankees. That's right. I forgot that. Uh, so there's something in all of us that likes to win. People love to watch contests. Super Bowl, a winning touchdown. World Series, a winning home run. The NBA Finals, winning three-pointer. Stanley Cup, I love ice hockey. There's boxing matches, chess, Bass Pro, Ninja Warrior, New York Marathon, weightlifting. I'm not into that. Swimming, bowling, golf, tennis, NASCAR, soccer, world poker tour, cooking shows, cooking contests. I could win that because I can open a can of Campbell's tomato soup. Joey Chestnut, uh, two years ago, he ate, uh, he ate hot, he's won 15 championships at Coney Island. He, he ate 76 hot dogs and the buns in 10 minutes. 76 hot. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. That's disgusting. Yeah, I, 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 well, you'll never be in that contest, and neither will I. But in Jesus' day, there were, no, there, there were none of these kind of contests. 
So how do the people root for winners and be enter- entertained? Here's what they did. They loved to listen to the rabbi's debate, intellectual volleys back and forth. And that's the context of Matthew 22. The crowd has gathered around Jesus in the temple courts. It's Tuesday before his death on Friday. There were debates, and Jesus comes out the winner in all five. All five. It's a shutout. Five to zero, he wins all five. He confounds their wisdom with greater wisdom, but he really ticked off the scribes and the Pharisees who tried to trap him with his own words. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 17 of Matthew 5, uh, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill the law. Jesus is saying, you accuse me of de-emphasizing the law of Moses and overemphasizing love and grace. You accuse me of offering forgiveness at the expense of law and justice. You think I minimize the Old Testament and what the prophets said, but that's not true at all. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to what? To fulfill it, which means the law is a written code for life, but Jesus is saying, I'm a live person to illustrate how to really live. In other words, Jesus is telling us what we could never keep, which is the law. Jesus became our substitute to keep the law for us or satisfy God's justice and appease the wrath of God because all of us are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. How many of you thank God Jesus took your place? He took my place. The scribes and the Pharisees had thousands of rules, thousands of regulations. The scribes were a class of scholars devoted to spelling out the principles in the law. The Pharisees were a group of laymen who separated from society to cover all the regulations developed by the scribes. And externalism and legalism became very oppressive. Thousands and thousands of rules and 12 printed volumes of the Jerusalem Talmud, 60 volumes of the Babylonian Talmud, rules like don't do this, don't do that, don't move this, don't move that, don't put a saddle on a donkey on the Sabbath day, don't wear that, don't step here, don't this. It was, and legalism was becoming very oppressive. Some people felt unspiritual. They couldn't find the power to keep all the rules. Other people felt super spiritual because they had mental records of the rules they could keep. The first group was frustrated. The second group was arrogant. And you know what? Both are a result of legalism. Frustrated people. Legalists are so frustrated. Other legalists will be arrogant because they know all the rules that they have kept. And in our text in Matthew 22, here's what happens. There's a showdown. The Pharisees meet together to think of a way to trap Jesus into saying something that they could accuse him of. An expert in religious law tries to trap him in verse 35 with this question. Teacher, what's what's the most important commandment in all the law of Moses? The lawyer, a Pharisee in the temple, an expert in the law, and the law of Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy, was calculated by the rabbis to have exactly 613 laws. Shall do this, shall not do that. Two groups. Why was the expert chosen to ask Jesus the big question? One reason only. The scripture says they wanted to trap Jesus to give the wrong answer so they could turn the people against him and get him. And how does Jesus answer the the lawyer's question? This is what he says. He quotes from their very law. He's so smart. 
And he says in Deuteronomy 6.4, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And Leviticus 19.18, and love your neighbor as yourself. I just want to ask a couple of questions this morning and just let the Holy let's see what the Holy Spirit would say to your heart and my heart in this, in this text. Before we can define the, the greatest commandment, I, I want us to look at the word for love in the scripture. Love the Lord. Say, love the Lord. Love the Lord. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for love means to have affection for, to delight in, to be fond of, and to be in the presence of. The New Testament Greek word for love, agapeo, means to regard the welfare of, to take pleasure in, to prize above all other things, and and an unwillingness to abandon. One scripture defines it this way, the word love, all through the Bible. Get get this. This is a great, uh, two words, that's all it is. Disinterested benevolence. In other words, agape love in the truest sense is to love for the benefit of the one who is the object of your love instead of yourself. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's not subject to change based upon reciprocity. It's not being kind to someone because they're kind to you. I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I'll do this, you do that. No, instead, love is the decision of our will with a deep abiding affection toward the object or for their benefit. Say this with me. If you forget everything else, this, this will help us, this will be a, help be a guide as you do life with people who sometimes you hold the door for and they don't say thank you. Now, if I hold the door for people, you hold the door for people, what are two words that you're looking to hear when people, a person walks through the door? Thank you. Thank you. And what do you, how do you feel when people don't say thank you? Don't repeat it. <laughs> you ungrateful. Pagan. How, how, how do you feel? And, and why do you feel bad? And they don't say thank you. You're not holding the door so they'll say thank you, so you'll feel good. Disinterested benevolence is holding the door for their benefit. And you that love the scriptures, you know that the root cause of all complaints is when a person feels like they're not getting what, we, what they deserve. And the truth of the matter is we don't want what we deserve. How many of you think God, hasn't God, give, God has not given you and I what we deserve? So here's the, te- here's the text. Loving God for what's in it for him, not for what's in it for me. It's all a response to the grace of God because God hasn't given us what we deserve and he's given us what we didn't deserve. So with all of our heart, just hit the background, get the background here, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, our passions, our desires, our affections, our emotions, our mind, our will, our strength, how do we love God? Jesus said, love the Lord with all. But here's the question I, I discovered walking through the, walking through the text in the, in the last several weeks. How do I know whether I love God with all my heart, my soul, and my, my mind, and my strength? How do I know? Is there a scale that you can, like, those scales that I don't like to stand on? Can, can you measure the weight of love? Can you, uh, can you get a sonar and see how deep it is in the ocean? Can you, can you get a tape measure? Let's try that. Let's measure. Can you, we measure our love, how, 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 how great it is? Four simple guides that, have, that are helping me, and here they are. Number one, just, just think of the question. 
Do we love God with an exclusive love? Can you say the word exclusive? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one, to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Now, Jesus' words in Matthew 6 are the, in the context of money or wealth because he knew the hearts of the listener. The religious leaders scoffed and rejected Jesus because their love for power and money and position overcame their, their love for God. Lesser gods interfered, distracted their hearts. So Jesus teaches us to love God exclusively. In other words, no other gods can have our attention, and here's why. God calls the church his bride. God referred to Israel as his wife. And when Israel worshipped other gods, God called it idolatry or adultery. And gods that have no other gods before him. Why? Because God is a jealous God. And don't ever forget this. And God wants what's best for you. God is not a joy stealer. He's not a joy killer. He's not a God waiting for you to slip up and fall and make a mistake. That's not the God we have. That's not the God of the Scripture. No. Loving God exclusively with all of our hearts will satisfy us with what pleases Him. And this will protect us from straying and looking for love and significance in all the wrong places and all the wrong directions. Remember this. Everybody here will be tempted, and all temptation in essence is a lie, promising you something it cannot deliver. Wasn't even the, didn't the Beatles even sing in song? Was it the Beatles? Money can't buy me love. You can't find it. There's no other way a person can be satisfied. Solomon said eternity has been placed into our hearts, and, and a person cannot find contentment until they find, the, find, f- find it in the Lord. I, just, I was During this worship service, I don't know why my mind began to wander back to my, my grateful dead years. That's an oxymoron. Grateful dead. Oh, oh. Walking, walking through the desert on a horse with no name. And then someone shared the gospel with me. They gave me a little gospel track. I cost a penny in Tampa, Florida, an alcoholic converted uncle of mine. And ten days later, I read the track, the gospel, and began to weep under conviction sitting on an airplane flying back to Baltimore. And Jesus came into my heart. And that's why we're celebrating water baptism today. Because when we go underwater and we come out, we're saying something. God has done something inwardly and changed me by the marvelous grace of God. How many of you think God God has changed you by the marvelous grace of God? None of us could change ourselves. I, I remember walking in the door. I got off the plane in Baltimore. Walking in the door. Listen to me. Walking in the door. And my mother looks at me. First thing she says, what happened to you? My father said, it'll wear off. My brother said, you're a fool. And that was like 49 years ago. I'm like 100 years old, so it's got to be, it's, it's exclusively. A spouse that's 90, 95% faithful is not faithful at all. Exclusive. Exclusive. 
How about this? Do we love God with an obedient love? John 14, 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, love me, love me, and I'll, I'll reveal myself to them. Now, why is, it, why is obedience so important for every growing disciple? Because obedience to God is evidence that we trust what he says. Obedience is evidence that we believe that God desires what's best for us. How many of you know God is bigger than you, smarter than you, knows things you don't know, and God has information, excuse me, that you're not aware of? So we can trust what he says. Obedience reveals that we have confidence in the revealed will of God in Scripture. Obedience is the tangible expression that we, that we, we love him and belong to him. And A.W. Tozer said, obedience is the certificate of Christian character. What's the byproduct, the consequences of willful obedience? Jesus said in John 14, 21, those who obey me are those who love me. Those who obey me are those who love me. Don't tell me, show me. Every now and then, as, as I mentioned to my, my, my secretary at work, I'll say, you know, thanks, Jamie, for all your work. And she looks at me and goes, show me the money. <laughs> Every time, show me the money. Don't tell me What? Show me. I asked my son, Robbie, I said, Robbie, how do people grow in the Lord? He never flinched. Robbie said this, how do people grow in the Lord? By being obedient to the last thing God speaks to you about. If we love Jesus, he teaches us here. We'll become more like him. He can trust us with more and more and more as growing disciples. And what happens then? Here's the crux to this today. Listen. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength results in obedience and moves us from the serve line consumers to the serving line contributors. In other words, our love for God makes us outward instead of inward, makes us givers instead of takers, makes us ask what's in it for God instead of what's in it for me, and makes me search our own heart, my own heart, instead of focusing on the hearts of other people. Obedience. Obedience. Whatever he says to you, do it. Third question I ask myself, do we love God with a surpassing love? Matthew 10, 37. Jesus said, if you love father or mother more than me, or your daughter, son, or daughter, you're not worthy of me. At face value, it seems offensive. But Jesus is not teaching us to not love our family. He's teaching us a principal truth about a genuine disciple who follows Jesus. What's the point in Matthew 10, 37? The point is our love for anyone, even our own mom or dad, can never surpass or supersede our love for God. It's painful to say this, but sometimes there's hard, tough choices we have to make. I pray you never have to. It, but it's only this love for God that will keep us. It will keep us. It will guard us. It will protect us. Jesus is saying here, if we love him most, then we'll follow him in spite of any persuasion or influence that would hinder us. If we love Jesus most, we'll give up anything and everything that deters or distracts or dilutes our relationship with him. One more question. One, the last question. Do we love God with a persevering? Can you say persevere? Persevere. Now, this is not uh, trying harder, working harder, doing better. I've, I've been to all the rah, rah, rah rallies and people's emotions being manipulated. But let, just listen to what the Scripture teaches here in the book of James. Blessed are those who persevere under trial, for afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who what? To love him. What is James saying? 
He's saying that one of the greatest examples of loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength is commitment versus feeling. Commitment to God in challenging times for James. For James. Content, commitment to persevere through the tough seasons. Commitment to love regardless of the circumstance. Commitment to persevere when life is hard. Commitment to pray through your dry deserts. Commitment to give and sacrifice and love God and your neighbor when you're given the opportunity. James reveals this very clear. Those who love God are those who will be able to persevere under trial because they love God more than themselves, more than comfort, more than convenience, more than self-preoccupation. While we're sitting here today, just think of it, Hundreds of people around the world are going to be martyred today, martyred today, and their only crime is they love Jesus. Here's the deal. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength will protect you and preserve you as God's grace is poured out in your heart every day of your life. Here's what it means. Get, get Gratitude for what God has already done in you will carry you through every season that God has planned for you. I'll say it again. Gratitude for what God, you know, and I know most of you know this. It's, just, it's like, am, am, I, uh, am I talking to the choir? But, you know, if God doesn't give you your parking spot in front of Walmart on a rainy day, can you still love him? If God doesn't do what you ask him to or, or, or work the way you think he should, can you still love him? You ever wonder why God teaches us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? God is not needy. He's not selfish. He's not myopic. He's not insecure. He's not on an ego trip. It's quite the opposite. You see, God knows me, Bill, you. God knows us too well, all too well. God knows we're prone to wander. God knows we're all tempted to place our affections in other things, little gods, lesser things, idols, temporary distractions. David said my, in the Psalms, David said, my heart is even as a weaned child. As, as the mom weans the child off the breast milk, David said, the Holy Spirit is weaning my heart from lesser things. Now, there are times in our travels that I have, I've lost my way as far as directions goes. How many of you ever needed directional help driving your car or your truck? How many of you ever needed help? How many of you ever told your wife, has your wife ever said to you, you need to stop and ask for someone for directions? Have you ever, like me, said, oh, no, I got this? You know, and three hours later, I still got this. I'm, you, know, you know what happens in my car on the, the GPS? The GPS wiggles all around, and it pulls me, and it gets, and it gets me back on the, main, on the main road. Some of you here in this service, you may be battling. Some of you online may be battling. And, and maybe you've, you've taken to, so, gone off into some tributaries or lesser streets, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you like the GPS to bring us back. Now get this. Remember this. We don't have to love we get to love. This is good theology here. We don't, have to, we don't have to love God. We get to love God. We don't love in order to get to heaven. We love because heaven is already ours in Christ. 
We don't love so that God will love us more. We love because God has loved us with a great crucified love of Jesus that we sang about. My friend, God could not love you any more than he's already expressed. You've never, oh, the wonderful, matchless, awesome love of God. We don't love so we can earn God's favor because we already have God's favor in Jesus. Why do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Here's our motivation. We, we quote it. We, we, it's so easy. We love God and people because God first loved us. That's great motivation. What is the greatest commandment? It's loving God with all of our heart. That's exclusive as a bride or groom to their spouse. It's obedient to the known will of God in Scripture. It's surpassing greater than any other affection in life, and it's persevering through every season of testing because of your consuming gratitude for all that God has already done. God does not have to do any more for you ever to prove how much he loves you. So how do you practice this? How do you practice the greatest commandment? couple things. One, remember what God has done. 1 John 4, 19. We love because God first loved us, which means we aren't capable of this love by ourselves. So God, our love for God originates from God himself. And remember what God still does for you and me. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.15, Paul said, a veil lies on our heart, but whenever our heart turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. What's that mean? Even though God created us with a heart who could love him wholly and completely, God knew our hearts would love many other lesser things besides him. So Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, simply trying not to love other things, the idols, lesser gods, sins, self-preoccupations, evil desires, lust of the flesh, etc., etc. That's not going to work, but here's what works. Paul says when our heart turns away from the Lord, it has a veil on it, so we can't see the Lord. You know what that's called? That's called deception. But the good news of the gospel is, Paul said, when we turn our hearts to the Lord, the veil is removed and we can see the Lord again. When we see his beauty and his virtue and his character and his compassion and his holiness and his grace and his mercy, we turn our hearts more and more, and he pours out more and more of his love in our hearts, and that's how our love grows and is healthy and loving and strong, and God has a plan. God has established his plan, and so what does it mean? If you know how much God loves you and has a plan, How do you not become selfish and myopic and narcissistic in a world that so desperately needs our help? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? I've had a couple, I've had some really nice neighbors, and I've had some really difficult neighbors. How do you love them as yourself? One commentary states this about loving our neighbor. The doctrine of humanism teaches us to love people without any reference to God. The doctrine of mysticism teaches us to love God without any reference to people. And Jesus comes along and diffuses both heresies because Jesus teaches us God cannot be loved apart from our neighbor, and our neighbor cannot be loved apart from God. And this is more important than ever. Think of this. First, we had People magazine. Then there was Us magazine. Now there is Self Magazine. And now I can go to the store and buy a T-shirt. 
that says it's all about me. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him it's not all, not all about you. Go ahead, tell your neighbor it's not all about you. <laughs> it's not all about you. It's not all about me. It's not all about you. The Bible teaches the reverse. We move from self, that's me, to us, that's the church together in community, to people, that's the world we're trying to reach. And that's the mission of Trinity. Trinity Assembly of God, because our neighbor is anyone we meet, any opportunity we have to serve them. Our, no, our neighbor is every opportunity God gives us all because the church exists for our non-members. John Piper defined loving your neighbor this way. The longings I have for my own safety and health and success and happiness, I now feel for someone else as if they were me. Let me say it again. The longings I have for my own safety and health and success and happiness, I now feel for someone else as if they were me. In other words, he's saying every person we meet is an opportunity to treat them the way that God has treated us. He's been so good to us. You know, it's interesting at the end of this text, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark added one little phrase that's not in Matthew. It's the phrase in Mark 12. Listen to this. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Can you imagine the setting Jesus saying that? Can you imagine that? You're not far from the kingdom of God. The lawyer was an open, honest man. He listened to Jesus intensely. His approach to God had been all wrapped up in offerings and sacrifice and performance and rules and regulations. But now he's beginning to see that salvation and faith is not about ceremony, rules, regulation, doing better, trying harder. It's about the gospel and the sacrifice of Jesus, what Jesus has done for you and me. The lawyer can't, and we can't, earn our way into the kingdom. We only get in because of the love and the grace of God, him sending his son to satisfy the wrath that you and I deserve. We can't help but respond to God and love him. I say it again. We cannot help respond to God and love him with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. So here's the ending takeaway. And all the rules and all the regulations and all the Pharisees and all the Sadducees and all the debates, here's the one point, the apex, what Jesus was getting at. What matters most to Jesus was not the keeping of 613 laws. What mattered most to Jesus was a loving relationship with the one true God. Do you have it today? Do we talk too much about what we should do to get in rather than what Christ has done so we could get in? Jesus, since the man was aware of his unrest. Scholars say that this man was probably at unrest because of his inability to keep all the rules. Jesus knew that the man was void of the grace of God and tried and tired of seeing his imperfections in the midst of his daily performance. And Jesus could tell that the man was coming closer to the gospel dispensation which Jesus was going to die for. Would you bow your heads in a word of prayer with me just for a moment? Every head is bowed, every eye closed. So we prepare for this great water baptismal service and celebrate with those who go in the water and come out of the water. God, we thank you today for your grace, your marvelous grace, the marvelous grace of our loving Lord.
God, we are grateful. God, I pray as we leave today, that when we leave, Lord, we'll be ever reminded of your great love for us. Our greatest motivation, God, gratitude for what you have done. I pray not one person, God, within the sound of my voice will ever doubt the love of God, will ever doubt the grace of God extended for every heart that's here. Pray together today, Lord. You'll arrest our hearts. Satisfy us fully, God. Help us to lean on and lean in and trust you above every other, every other thing that we look to or could look to or look for to bring us the peace of God that passes all understanding. God, I thank you for every man and woman in this room, every child. I thank you for the grace of God that's been poured out in every heart that's here today. So, Jesus, help us. It's okay to pray. So, Lord, help all of us. Help us. Help me, Lord, to love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my intellectual capacities, God, my mind. Help us, God, out of gratitude just to thank you for what you've done for us. We love you, Jesus. We give you praise today. We are grateful beyond description.